He never made it this far before. Ever so often he goes on one of his missions to rescue his wife. She's been dead for 12 years. Lies. 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 Sometimes he gets all the way up to the front gate. We send him on his way and allow him to serve as a reminder of just how futile it is to challenge us. Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Thad Haight. And I'm Stuart Hollis. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 12, Resistance. Oh. I I get where you're going with that. It originally aired on the 27th of November, 1995, and was directed by... It was directed by Vinrick Kolba. Uh, Interestingly enough, this... The same week that this episode aired, uh, the DS9 episode that aired, Armand Bashir, was also directed by Vinrick Koba. The story was by Michael Jan Friedman and Kevin J. Ryan, both of whom have written Star Trek novels and comics. Uh, Kevin J. Ryan wrote seven Star Trek novels, including one as a collaboration with Michael Jan Friedman, and 13 Star Trek comics. He also edited the first edition of the Star Trek Encyclopedia. Uh, this episode is his only TV writing credit, and he has written a couple other novels, but he's mostly known for his work on Star Trek. Michael Jan Friedman is considerably more prolific. He wrote 35 Star Trek novels, 5 Star Trek short stories, 4 Star Trek reference books, and 98 Star Trek comics. And a partridge in a pear tree... <laughs> <laughs> He's also written several other novels and comics, uh, including uh, comic entries on The Flash and uh, novels for a couple different tie-in franchises, including, he had, here's a blast from the 90s, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. <laughs> <laughs> that was a blast from the 90s. <laughs> As with Kevin J. Ryan, this is his only TV writing credit. I would. I just like to uh, point out that personally, on a personal note, I really enjoy a lot of Michael Jen Friedman's Star Trek novels. Uh, he's written several TOS and TNG novels. He's most well known for his Stargazer series, which is about the early days of Picard when he was on the Stargazer, and also he. I'm gonna. I'm gonna on a little bit of a talk about Star Trek novels here, sorry. Uh, he <laughs> also wrote the TNG novel Death in Winter, which kicked off the TNG relaunch series, which for those who are unfamiliar with the Star Trek literary universe, uh, one, once it was shown that Nemesis was going to be the last TNG film, uh, the three... 24th Century Star Trek book series, DS9, TNG, and Voyager, all started doing their own shared continuity post-Nemesis, where they actually get to, they tell stories together and apart, and one thing that happens in one book gets referenced in the other books, which is really, really cool, because prior to that, all of the Star Trek novels were sandboxes. You, what... You had to you had to leave everything exactly as it was when you started. You couldn't make changes to the s- story because the TV shows were still happening. But post Nemesis, anything goes, and there's some really cool, interesting, ongoing stories in that whole continuity. And as I said, Michael Jan Friedman wrote the first book in that relaunch. So this has been a brief interlude of Delta Flyer Book Club. Yes. 
Uh, the teleplay <laughs> was by Lisa Link. Uh, she wrote one episode of DS9 and 13 episodes of Voyager, of which this is the first. She also wrote the Borg Invasion 4D Ride at Star Trek The Experience in Las Vegas, which has now closed. Uh, she's also written for several other TV shows, notably Earth Final Conflict and Hercules The Legendary Journeys. Or Journey. Cool. Yeah. All right. So a lot of people with quite the resume. Yes. Our synopsis from TV Guide. Tuvok and Torres are captured while on a mission to acquire Telerium for the ship. But Janeway is sheltered by an old man who believes she's his daughter. I believe it was Telerium. I thought it was Telerium. I'm pretty sure it was Telerium. Telerium? Telerium. 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 What about Memory Alpha? Memory Alpha says, In order to free her imprisoned crew members, Captain Janeway accepts the help of a delusional resistance fighter. Okay, so a couple of problems with that one. Mm Mm-hmm. He's not a resistance fighter. He tells us this. Yes. I mean, he doesn't like the Mokra. Who does? The third adjunct whatever dude who was leading that group of the Mokra. I bet he likes them a lot. Okay. Other than the Mokra themselves, who does? Well, I'm not saying that all the Mokra like it. Oh, that's true. I mean, it might just be a paycheck for most of them. And the other question is, are the Mokra just the military, or are they like a cast, or how's this work? I don't think they're a cast. It certainly seems like it is like a military police state for the whole planet, because they're just sort of like roughing up the people in the market. They have control over the sensor net that surveys the planet, interior and exterior. Uh-huh. It, yeah... It, I think it's a police state. Yeah. And so he was like the local, you know, like regional commander or whatever. So the story was originally pitched as one of the Voyager crew is Dulcinea to a Kazon Don Quixote. Obviously, by the time it was actually aired, they stopped, They switched it from Kazon to Alien of the Week. The one with the Kazon could have been, in- could have been interesting, but I wonder if they... Because to a certain degree, they kind of know what shape the season is going to take. I realize, like Some of the episodes are shuffleable. Mm-hmm. Like, this one could have happened whenever. Yeah. But I wonder if they were thinking, well, we were planning on doing this one with the Kazons and Seska this time, you know, at this point. Maybe we don't want to have two Kazon episodes back to back. Yeah, and we're going to have another Kazon episode in a few weeks as well with alliances. So Yeah, so you don't want to like overload with it. Well, you do not want a Kazon overload, that's true. No, 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 that'd be bad. So, Kalem, the delusional non-resistance fighter, was played by Joel Gray, who is an actor who's been in many things. He's best known for Cabaret, for which he won an Oscar. Was that before or after this? Long before, 70s. Wow. That's pretty... That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Do we have any information on the last time there was a Oscar-winning actor as a bit part on a Star Trek episode? No, but I'm sure it's happened before. Yeah. But no, I don't have any specific information. But I thought the fact that he is an Oscar-winning actor, and it's not really a bit part. A bit part would have been like if he was like the Resistance fighter that got arrested. I thought I recognized the Resistance fighter who got arrested... He's the that guy of sorts, I think. I think he's a what guy. 
Mm. And I think there's another what guy later in the episode is one of the prison guards. The the guy who played the third adjunct regional director fellow, I don't know what. I can't remember what his title was, but his name was Augress. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a total that guy. Mm. Are you ready for some of his? I am totally ready. Okay, okay. So first and foremost, and most importantly, in my heart, <laughs> he was one of the regulars on Seven Days. <laughs> of course he was. One of the main cast on Seven Days. He also uh, was in an episode of Stargate Atlantis. He was Flavin, or Flavin, on Andromeda. Okay. And he was in Lethal Weapon 3, which is apparently what he's best known for, because that's the first part of his bio. I don't recognize him clean-shaven, that's the problem. Now I know who he was in Andromeda (laughs) 2. Well, there we go. Okay, so let's actually talk about this episode, huh? Yeah, sure. Okay, so to lead off, as I just mentioned, I thought I recognized the helpful alien at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. I was wrong. Okay. Uh, They go, you know, they're in this market, and Neelix looks weird. He's got, like, a weird face happening. Mm -hmm. They're trading for what we find out to be Tellurium. Tellurium, Tellurium, Tellurium. Tellurium, however you want to pronounce it. Tellurium. 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 Oh, so it so it is Tellurium. Yeah, and so and Tellurium is the real thing. Yes. So Tellurium is a one and done. Add that to the list. Man, there are so many things that Voyager's engines need. Yeah, but you know what? I'm really happy to see another episode where we're dealing with the actual scarcity, even if it is solved in like five and a half minutes. I kind of wish it was the same thing we were missing in um, tattoos, since they never actually got it. No, no, they got a supply of it. Did they? Yeah, at, at the end of it, the alien, you know, the sky spirit. I thought the end was the aliens said, "I'm sorry, we can't give it to you." No, I, it was effectively, "We can't. I'm sorry, we can't give you like the right to mine through the mountain, but here's some." Oh, it was okay. like the gist of like how, that's how I took it. Okay, was that they were definitely like going home with some of what they were looking for. Okay. So they're in the market, they're getting the Tellarium. Yes. And then... Bad guys show up. Yes, the Mokra show up. So, I have a thing here. It seems very out of character for them to try black market first, and not proper diplomatic channels. It does, and I wonder... It could have been useful if there had been a line from Neelix... Like, after they initiate contact with the Mokra, saying something to the effect of, you see how intractable they are? That's why we had to go to the black market first. Yes. Or if the Mokra himself had said, unfortunately, we only open trade negotiations with someone that we've known for six and a half months. Whatever. Like, if there had been some sort of throwaway line to indicate, because you're not wrong. Well, see, I could definitely see, especially since they really, really needed this, as evidenced by Kim and Chakotay's conversation, uh... I could definitely see if they had tried to go dip the diplomatic route and the Mokra turned them away, them then going to the black market. But it seems very strange that they didn't even try to talk to the Mokra. Yeah, if if they're, if the first meeting with the Mokra that we see is instead, oh, so you're back, have you agreed to meet our demands or something like yes. that? Yes, but yeah. instead the Mokra had never talked to them at all before, and that just made it weird. 
It feels like a weird blind spot in their sensor net that they can't see on the other side of their moon. I thought that was weird, too. If they have an orbital sensor net, why wouldn't they also have one on the moon? Yeah, if it's the most complicated sensor net Harry Kim has ever seen, again, who the heck is trusting the ensign for, well, you're the best pod I've ever seen. This is the most complicated sensor net I've ever seen. It's like, you're 10 months out of the Academy, man. You haven't seen Diddley. Yes, the the... Both the sensor net and the black market. Those were my big nits with that, this whole premise. Yeah. However, in the black market, Torres uh, faces off with a faceless foe who falls for a full-fisted fusillade. Nice. Thank you. She's employing the patented Kirk double-fist attack. This is not the first time we've seen Torres use the Kirk double-fist attack. No. No, she... I... I I think that most of her time at the Academy was spent in, like, the personal defense classes. That would make sense. It would make sense. Like, weapons training, engineering, personal defense. Yeah. And pottery. Well, naturally. You gotta have a hobby. You gotta have an elective. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I was going for. (laughs) So we cut to the ship. Harry and Chakotay are... I don't know what the right word is. Bemoaning? Yeah, Perhaps. They're, they're well. They're explaining the stakes for the viewer. Yes, the stakes that are immediately removed. Yeah, I can't think of like a good like portmanteau of bemoan and exposition. See that that was another thing that I kind of had an issue with with the whole like pacing of the episode. The fact that Neelix immediately provides them the thing they need. I feel like they should have been trying to get the tour the the whatever Toy. it is <laughs> throughout the episode. They shouldn't have. It's, it seemed odd that they just get it right away. Or maybe they didn't get enough of it, and Janeway had the other half of the supply. Right. Like, they have enough to, like, keep from killing the engines, but not to but not from, not from to actually restart the engines. Yeah, m- my beef with this scenario is... If it drops below nine, the plasma injectors will lock up, and we'll never be able to reinitialize the nacelles. Yep. Why does that happen at 9%? I don't know. If this is necessary to like maintain a stable warp core reaction, shouldn't that sort of thing happen with drops below say one percent? What exactly is the what exactly are these percentages measuring? The rate of the something they kept on like like monitor the flow rate. Okay, is a hundred percent the good number? Is 100% not the good number? Yeah. See, that's my thing. How is a flow rate measured in percentage? Is that's not typically how one would measure a flow rate, I wouldn't think. No, not usually. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, no, not how, how usually. I mean, like, I mean, how do you calculate what 100% of the flow rate is? <laughs> the, I mean, the maximum pressure and volume of water that can be pushed through a pipe at any given time before it bursts. That seems like a really weird way to measure this. Yeah, it is. But, you know... <laughs> These are weird space people that apparently sure. need to, like, pour powder into their engine to make it go. Yeah, that's fair. And this is, like, one of, like, 20 different powders that they need for that engine, too. Yeah, it's a real, you know, watching this, I was thinking about how easy it is to address problems on, say, like, my car versus one that's 10 or 15 years newer. mm since everything, like, more and more stuff is computer controlled now. Well, at least my and... car will tell you what's wrong. It's going to be harder to fix, but it'll tell you what's wrong. <laughs> yeah, for all the good it does you. Yeah. Yes. 
Uh, I did appreciate, though, that we got a dynamic display of the flow rate, I guess, kind of bouncing around a little bit. So, you know, I was asking, you know, I asked, they delivered. So what is the ideal flow rate then? Because that's, they, I mean, that's what I was asking. <laughs> he also says, yeah, because he also says once it gets back to the normal rate, but we don't actually know what that is. 47%. Probably. Yeah. Did you catch the two uh, set course 219 mark 47? I did not. I, at that point, I was more wondering, Harry, have, why haven't you noticed this stone before since now it's just dissipating? There was that, too. And you've been scanning this planet for hours. For real. <laughs> Speaking of scanners, mm-hmm. this is the time when Voyager comes out around the back of the moon, which apparently is a blind spot for the Mokra dummies, and they start scanning Voyager, and Voyager knows they're being scanned. So... This is something that's always kind of tickled the back of my head. Maybe you can explain this to me from a novel or something. Maybe. It sure seems like everyone's scanners work largely the same way. And how do you detect that you're being scanned? Yeah, I don't know. Thank you. You're supposed to be like my Trek lore dude. I'm sorry. I don't believe that's something that's ever been explained. Oh, come on. There's got, like, there's what, like 800 Star Trek novels? Surely one of them right, has a chapter Right, but none of them are scanning. canon. Oh, okay. Okay, no, that's not true. Like, two of them are canon. Okay, good enough. As a follow-up question, why does everyone's comms work the same way? Yeah, I've always thought that was... It's very fortuitous that aliens always use the exact same communication system. Like, surely at some point we're going to come across somebody who's like, hold on, hold on, hold on, I can hear you, but I can't see you. Wait, I need to update Skype. (laughs) And now you're just breaking up. So we're now in the prison cell with Tuvok and Balana. Yes, and Balana sees the power source for the field and thinks she can reach it, but she cannot. Yeah, how did she think that she was going to be able to reach it? I was wondering this myself. Like, it, it, it would be one thing if the Mokra, which is like the, the... I don't know if we ever get a name for the peoples. The people are never officially named. Okay. It'd be a different thing if the residents of this planet all had, like, freakishly large hands or something, mm-hmm. and had never considered the idea that someone might have small hands. So, the the German reference book, Das Star Trek Universum, calls the planet Mokra, the, the capital city, Alsoria, and the people, the Alsorians. They're making that up. Yes, they are making all of that up. But, that's what, that's the only information we have. Okay. After she finds out that, no, the force field protects that too, you silly person, we get a conversation between her and Tuvok. Yep. Tuvok is being typical Tuvok. Torres is being more or less typical Torres. It ends with her saying, well, I guess that's the Vulcan way of saying, hope for the best. And I was really hoping for a Vulcan retort. Mm. Like, Vulcans do not hope. Or something. Well, sometimes Tuvok lets you down. That's true. And now we have the old man being kind of creepy with Janeway. Like, even allowing for the fact that he thinks that Janeway is his long-lost daughter, Mm -hmm. it still feels weird. A little. I don't know. Depending on how long it has been, which he never says, since he last saw his daughter, presumably quite some time. Yeah. Then I guess it does make some amount of sense. It's still weird and kind of creepy. A little bit. I'm surprised at how Janeway eventually just goes with it. Well, I I think 
on this one, like part of it is like pragmatism on her part. Mm-hmm. You know, she's going to need help getting into the prison, and this guy's certainly motivated. It's true. And part of it, too, is I have to imagine on some level she's thinking about when he's talking about um, when the old man is saying that like the his his wife and her mother is you know still in the prison and you have to know that that's got to be dredging up some pretty strong emotions for for anybody when you're 70,000 light years from home and all of your family and your own mother and father and like you know like maybe just like pretending you can sort of like well, feign a connection Janeway's father is dead actually but yes oh i didn't know that but is her mother this is about saving the mother. No, her mother is not dead. Okay, there you go. At least I don't think her mother's dead. Hmm. Her father, through the show, we later find out is dead. Her mother... I think her mother is still alive. Gotcha. So I want to know... I, mean, I understand why the old man doesn't notice the fact that Janeway doesn't have a nose bridge thing going on. But no one else seems well, to notice Well, there are other care. aliens. There are. But we don't see very many non non local humanoids. Yeah, but I I think the fact that we see other aliens is why is what makes that fair enough. Also, it it should be pointed out that Janeway has new hair, and since none of the other characters had special undercover hair, we assume this is not special undercover hair. I'm gonna be honest; her hair changes like frequently enough that I just don't even notice anymore. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I, I just assume that it's going to be different each episode. <laughs> it does seem that way, doesn't it? Yes. We cut back to Voyager, and Chakotay is meeting with... Uh, I don't remember. I, I've the already forgotten his name. That guy. Let's call him... Starts with an A. Let's call him Angus. It's not Angus. No, it's close, though. It's like Argus. It's, it's closer Argus. to Argus. Doesn't matter. He's, you know, meeting with the guy. I don't remember his name either, though, so it's okay. Yeah, and the guy is telling us that, uh, you know, you know, we'd like to help you, but a lot of people seem to think you have a ship of death. No, African war zone, ship of death. But I believe. Right, no, of course, but, you know, these other people, we can't move forward until you help assuage their fears. <laughs> and Jakote is like, well, Ogres. we can't move. Thank you. You know, the guy. Like, you know, well, I'd love to let you talk to your friends, but, you know, there's all this mistrust. Jagote's mm. like, well, I can help you with the mistrust thing if you let me talk to my friends. <laughs> and clearly, they're not going anywhere. A classic impasse. Mm. And I think this is around the time that Harry Kim says it's the most complicated sensor network he's ever seen, and Jagote tasks him with the problem of defeating it. Yes. And then we get more of, uh, Chicote or not and of Janeway and Caleb. He gives her the necklace that mm-hmm. his wife had worn. He's talking about all the letters he's been writing her that he can't deliver. I guess they don't have you know prison mail, prison mm. post, p mail. Mm. We cut back to the market because Janeway is looking for the helpful alien. Yes, who has a name? I don't remember what it is. Yeah, he does have a name, because she uses it when she meets him in the prism. Uh, prison, not prism. Darod. Darod? Or, or is it Darod? Yeah. It's D-A-R-O-D, however that's pronounced. Cool. If it was a prism prison, it would be the neutral zone, or whatever it is. Not the neutral zone. Wherever Superman sends Sod. Oh, bother. The phantom zone. 
that's it. Yeah, yeah. Prism, yeah, the, the prism prison is the phantom zone. Mm. Yes. Yes. Augress is interrogating a helpful citizen. You look like a helpful citizen. So tell me, you might have seen some strangers who were in the marketplace earlier today. <laughs> when he spies our helpful alien, and he corners him, and the helpful alien makes just a little bit too quick of a denial about never see- about not seeing a woman. Yep, and August is like, there's two women right over there. And this is when the old man starts acting like a funny, weird old man yeah. as a distraction so that the helpful alien can escape. With what we later find out, how Augris knows all about the old man, it seems weird that he didn't see through this. Maybe he thinks the old man had finally snapped from grief. Hmm. Possible. I would have liked to have seen more of like a, a bemused smile on Augris's face. Like, there was a little bit of one. Yeah. But, like, more of one. It also would have been, like, too much foreshadowing. felt really uncomfortable that everyone in the market was laughing. Yeah, that, and it went on for a while. Yeah. It was, that was a weird scene. Yes. Because I feel like that's not, I mean, I realize these are not humans, and this is not the 20th century, 21st century Earth. I feel like that's not how that would have played out here. There would have been a lot of people laughing. I don't know if everyone would have been laughing, though. No, and there would be people that would be, like, concerned as well. But, yeah, yeah, that's true. And no one really seemed to be in this situation. Yeah. But anyway, this is obviously not this is obviously not 21st century Earth. This is a planet that doesn't really have a name unless you're German. Right. So they meet up with uh with Darid, the helpful alien, unless it's Gerard. Right. So they can break into the prison. And okay. he tells them that there's like a tunnel or whatever on the north side. And this is why I'm bringing up the north side. Lots of planets have a north nice uh we know that the com badges are like doing active translation yeah but how does it know but she doesn't even have a com badge on her the mokra took it when would the mokra have taken it when janeway is knocked over is is... Oh, oh oh okay yeah she doesn't have a com badge okay she had a com badge she could have gone back to the ship a long time ago Oh, that's true, because she wasn't in the, like, deep, thick stone tunnels or whatever. I think the universal translators are implants, though. I don't think it's a... Okay, regardless of how the universal translator works, mm-hmm. how does it know how to interpret North. another alien? Yeah. it's an excellent like, question. What, what's even to say they use the same cardinal directions as we do? Like, just because we split the world into four quadrants mm. doesn't mean that everyone would. Same deal with the, you know, nonsense with the time in, um, well, Time and Again. Yes. Well, at least in Time and Again, they don't just straight up say their hours and minutes, but I still don't understand how Paris could possibly know. It happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a callback that we don't really need to make. No, 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 no. <laughs> Speaking of hours and minutes, though, we mm-hmm. then find out that, that she and the old man were waiting for five hours. I guess just, like, there? I thought it was three. Well, they were supposed to, Well, no, because she had said they were three hours late. Yes. It was It was going to be, come back here in two hours, there'll be a man in a blue vest, and then Janeway oh, okay. says they're three hours late. So they okay. were there for five hours. Yeah, it seems like, I feel like after one hour, you would start to suspect there's a problem. Not three. Right. 
She goes to, you know, finally Blue Vest shows up. She goes to approach and realizes, no, no. His shoes are too nice. That's right. Those are those are not the shoes of a carpenter. <laughs> nice. Thank you. We're back in the prison cell now. Tuvok and Balana are having a conversation because Balana has been hearing Tuvok getting tortured throughout this. And Tuvok has just gotten tossed back into the cell. And Tuvok explains that at some point, even Vulcans feel pain. Yes. You know, she's saying, like, why aren't you getting angry? Don't you want to fight? And he explains this is a form of fighting. Their best way of fighting back right now is to deny them information. And he's not wrong. He's really not wrong. Yeah, no. Janeway then gets the gets a brilliant idea that she's going to just, like, sashay her way into the prison to pretend to be a woman of the street. Yes. And she goes to seduce a guard, who I think is a that guy, but he might be another what guy. Mmm. Gotta watch out for those what guys. That's right. Knocks him out. Shoots the other one. Yeah, as you do. Well, I mean, yeah. You know, she's gotta save her people. <laughs> and then hot wires the door and gets into the prison. This is around the time that we... Uh, and she does leave... She does leave Caleb outside. She, like, yes. re-engages the force field so he can't come in. It makes sense. She would be concerned about having to also protect him while... Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, she even says, sense. like, she's, like, saving his life by doing this. It feels a little weird. Like, was she expecting him to, like, run home at this point? Because it feels weird to just leave him standing there with the two... With a knocked out and... I don't know if the weapons have a stun setting that the Mokra use. Oh, and... Speaking of weapons, Caleb does pick up Chekhov's knife off one of the guards. He did, yes. A very complicated-looking knife, which is probably, like, way harder to make than a knife without all those, like, complications. I think it's a reuse of one of the Vidian tools. Oh, yeah, no problem. Probably. Yeah, that or it's a reuse of the knife from Stargate that they use to, you know, like, stab the pouch symbiote. That would be impressive, since that takes place... that, That was filmed, like, two years later. How many time travel episodes are there in Voyager? <laughs> touche, touche. You know, they're always tumbling across wormholes. Yeah. So then we come back to the ship around this time. Mm-hmm. Kim is telling Chakotay that he has a brilliant plan. It's exactly what I wrote. Brilliant plan. <laughs> nice. And then I wrote, oh, look, it failed. That's why you're still an ensign. <laughs> yes. He just made them angry, basically. Yes, and they have two minutes to 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 scoot, or they're going to get blown to bits. Yes. Then <laughs> we go back to the prison, and Janeway blows up something, like you do. Yeah, and it turns off all the force fields. Yes, uh, and then she comes across uh, Darude Standstorm in the hall. Well, we actually cut back to the ship first. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. And I think this is around the time that we find out that Tom Paris. Was going to be leading the rescue team. Okay, yeah, we found that out. Uh, when, right. when Harry unveils his, his brilliant plan. Yeah, Paris was going to be leading a rescue team. He was standing by in transporter room two. It's always transporter room two. Uh, and oh, also, I I wanted to mention something that I forgot. In the very beginning, they actually do the thing we complain that they never do. They diverted power. They diverted emergency power to transporter room two to beam Neelix straight to engineering. Yes, they do, which is yeah. awesome. And Thank goodness. then here at the end, at this point, when the force fields go down, uh, 
Chakotay mentions that they have about 30 seconds and tells Paris. And Paris strolls over to the turbo lift. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't even run. Like, for one thing, why not do the, the emergency transport straight from the bridge? Secondly, why are you just nodding and then walking to the turbo lift? What is this? Yeah, I... And why is Paris leading the rescue team? Is it because he's the only one who has any experience with a prison? But what about, um... What about Lieutenant... I'm always injuring myself working out in his security team. Baxter. That's it. Thank you. I know names sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, like, Baxter could be leading it. Well, no, no, Baxter's always busy guarding Cargo Bay (laughs) 2. That's true. That's his duty station. (laughs) It's the most important cargo bay. Wait a second. Where the heck was Baxter last week? <laughs> that's an excellent. He was working out. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's what he was doing. He was working yes. out. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. At first he thought it was getting cold. When the vacuum to space opened in Cargo Bay 2, at first he thought he was just working out so hard that it made him cold. Uh <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, (laughs) this episode is both great with transporters and terrible with them. Yes. (laughs) So now Voyager's under attack. Yes. And like Harry keeps yelling about the situation updates, even though Chakotay is 10 feet away from him. (laughs) Or less. And like, it's not like there's, you know, circuits blowing on the bridge or anything like that. Like they're getting shooken up shaken up i'm actually impressed at how few circuits are blowing typically when your shields are down to that there's circuits blowing everywhere which shouldn't be happening until the shields are gone but i mean it sure seems like when the when the shields get below say 99.9 percent circuits start blowing half the time it does but for once they don't do that that's right so we won't complain about a thing they don't do in this episode (laughs) i think we have it in us but we won't (laughs) oh we definitely have it in us so Harry's yelling. Yes. The, this whole section is like lot is a fair amount of like jumping back from the prison back up to Voyager a couple of different times. And this is when Harry finally notices that storm. Yeah. God, come on, man. You're <laughs> supposed to be monitoring things. Mm. In the prison, Janeway discovers Tuvok and Bellana, and just as she's telling Tuvok and Bellana on how to escape on their own so that she can go in and rescue the old man's wife, poof, the Mokra appear. Yes. It's Augris. It is. Augris. <laughs> a fight ensues. This is where Augris explains that Caleb has been trying to break into the prison for years, and his wife is dead, and so is his daughter. Uh, yeah, and says that like on like his most his last most successful attempt, he made it to the gate. Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? Like how how does he even know if he didn't make it to the gate? Yeah. If you're watching, if you're if you're watching Caleb that closely, why'd you have to say? After all that time I spent looking for you, all I had to do was wait here. Yeah. <sighs> so many. People. So a fight breaks out. Yes. Caleb stabs Ogris. Ogris. Ogris throws Caleb into the weapon beams of his guards. Yes. He has a death scene with Janeway, where Janeway tells him that she and his and her mother forgive him. Yes. Which was nice. Yeah. Janeway cries. 
and Tom Paris shows up. Just Tom Paris, though. Not an entire rescue team, just Tom Paris. I didn't even notice Tom Paris. Like, I, I thought I did on the first watching. I didn't notice it at all on the second watching. I'm like, I must have just imagined Tom Paris being there. When Janeway is kneeling over Caleb. Yeah, no, uh, the, yeah that's what I'm saying. It's like, that's when I thought I noticed him. And I'm like, but does he say words? He says Captain. And she says oh. not now or something like that. I think I thought that was like Tuvok or something. Yeah, it seems really anticlimactic because you feel like Paris is going to be doing something important if he doesn't. Yeah, like, like maybe like Paris beaming in is like what gives them the break so they can like have you know that ca- distracts people to start the but fight. Before when when Kim had his cunning plan, uh, Paris was going to be leading a team. But yeah. Now it was just Paris. There wasn't a team. Yeah. Like what? What happened? Yeah. If he was going down to transporter room two, where'd the team go? If he didn't need the team, why didn't they beam him off the bridge? Even if they did need the team, just beam them all from wherever they are. Yeah. But anyway, we then go back to the ship. Kim is giving a status report to Janeway about how the ship is better now because they have the Tolarium. 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 The stuff. Yeah. See, yeah, I was saying Tolarium, and then you said Tolarium, and then it... You said Tolarium. 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 Anyway, and then we have Janeway uh, looking at the necklace, and the episode ends. When did she get the necklace back? Because she gave That's it to... excellent question. I hadn't even thought of that. You're right. Yeah, she gave it to the guy for the weapons. Maybe maybe the helpful alien gave it back to her and we just didn't notice. I guess that's what we're to assume. Yeah. Because I was wondering, like, up until she gives the necklace away for the weapons, mm-hmm. I was wondering, like, is this going to be something that we're going to, like, now notice in the future in her ready room or something as a memento? Mm-hmm. Kind of like know. how it would be cool if the Viking sword was hanging in the sick bay. Yes, that would be sweet. Oh, by the way, Harry Kim's radion beams are also a one and done. Oh, yeah? Yeah. As are phased ion cannons. Yeah, he should have used G-Force beams. Nah, nah, he really needed a voodoo. This is the 90s, man. Voodoo was king. Oh, yes. <laughs> and that's pretty much the episode. Yeah. I'll be honest, my notes about how many books the writers wrote took up more space <laughs> than my notes on the episode. <laughs> okay, so who would you say was uh, the star of the episode? Who 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 was your best character and who was your worst character? I mean, Janeway, I'd say. Of our, of our main cast, Janeway is the best character. It doesn't have to be main cast. It could be a... Well, I really I really liked uh, Calum. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, worst... Harry Kim with his brilliant plan that gets the ship in trouble. Yeah, no, I'm gonna have to agree with you on that one because obviously, like <laughs> you know, like you hear worse, you might think Ogress, but Ogress, you know, he Ogress, did a good job of being yeah. a bad guy. So, yeah. yeah, I thought this episode was fine. Yeah, it wasn't amazing, but it was fine. Yeah, it, it wasn't bad either. No, no, it was a very, it was a very typical Voyager episode. One could even say like a prototypical. Voyager episode? Yeah. Conveniently, Prototype is what we'll be talking about next week. Thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed it, you can also check out our other podcast, Stargate Weekly. You can find and review both of our podcasts on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, deltaflyerpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Gamicus. You can find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Delta Flyer Pod. And that's our show. Yeah. 
stopping. <laughs>